Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you for being here. If you'd please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you'd like to follow along with the reading this morning and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know somebody who needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them, for we would love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Esther, chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, and that can be found on page 415. Follow along with me as I read. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year as the days of which on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned from them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for being just an awesome God who loves us and pours grace and mercy into our lives. God, I pray that you would be with Jason today as he brings us the message that it would draw us nearer to you and in love with you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be, I'll shoot you straight today. We are in week 11 of the book of Esther. If this is your first day with us, you're kind of walking in on the end of the movie, which is fine. We have 10 other sermons online you can get caught up on, or maybe you could ask somebody after service they'll get you caught up on the story of Esther. But I'm going to do my best to give a 30,000 feet view overview of this rather than re-preaching all those other 10 sermons. And I'm also excited to say we're going to be back in the New Testament starting next week. We're going to start a new series in the book of Galatians, and we're going to call that series Galatians. And so, uh, so I'm looking forward uh, to, to doing that, outline the book uh, earlier in the week, and looking forward to jumping in there, but not before we cross the finish line on the book of Esther. Esther is a story about salvation and celebration. It's this story where there's been uh, broken people that God used for his good purposes. There was a threat against God's people that they would be eliminated, and God used Esther and a guy named Mordecai to spare his people through their faithfulness to the Lord. He's, he brought salvation in that day to his people. And so God worked through providence. Uh, providence works like this. When you can look back in your life, and at the time, it didn't seem like things were going to work out, and you might meet get a new relationship and they might bring wisdom into your life. Your life gets better because of a friendship. You meet your spouse or you get laid off from work and you think, what's going to happen? You get hired on at a job of your dreams or you just look back and you can providentially see that God was at work through circumstances all along the way. And so in the current time, it might feel like coincidence. And, and in the future, it might, we might forget that God providentially provides for us. And so that's why I like to take some time sometimes, just take a day and thank God for stuff. Thank God for people. Text people and pray and just remember how he's provided as we lean into the future where it's kind of scary and we have to use trust and we have to use faith. But this is a book 
uh, a story that, that God's name is not mentioned one time, but God providentially works. It seems like Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle, Esther's the main character in the story. Mordecai is a supporting character, and he's always providentially in the right place at the right time to get information that the king needs to know. And he gives it to his daughter, who's queen, and she gives it to the king. And, and God just seems to work in such a way that Mordecai and Esther get favor. And there's a guy named Haman who plotted to destroy all the Jewish people. He ends up uh, being destroyed himself and, and his 10 sons and all those who stood against um, the Jews in the day of Esther in the land of Persia. Uh, so this is a story about salvation and celebration. It's also a story about good versus evil but not in the way that you would think. This isn't like a John Wayne movie where there's clearly a good guy and then clearly the bad guy. This is a story, when I say the good guy, it's the good promise of God. God made a promise to a guy by the name of Abraham in the book of Genesis, way back in, uh, deeper in the Old Testament. He said, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And he's going to use Abraham to be a father of many nations. Well, if Abraham was going to be the father of many nations, he needed to first become the father of a nation. And before he could become the father of a nation, he needed to first become a father because uh, he couldn't have any kids. But God was faithful and they ended up having a son and then some grandkids and they become a group of people that, that wander around together. They eventually become a nation. And then from that nation, Jesus comes and lives in our place, the life that we fail to live. He accomplishes what we call righteousness. He dies in our place, the death that we deserve to die because of our sins. We call that atonement or forgiveness, where Jesus absorbs the wrath of God. So we get to be called righteous when we trust in Jesus' righteous life. And we get to be forgiven when Jesus takes away the sin that is in our life. And Jesus raised from the dead and uh, ascended into heaven and then sent his Holy Spirit upon his people and started what we call the church. And now the church transcends all continents, all countries. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection has gone out to the ends of the earth. And that is the promise that God made to Abraham being fulfilled through you and through me whenever we tell others the goodness of Jesus and they believe it. And so this good promise is moving forward through some broken people. When we first discover Esther and Mordecai, uh, we see a, a family who's in exile. They're from Jerusalem. Uh, they were overtaken by the Babylonians, and then the Babylonians were overtaken by the Persians. And so they're, they're living in a land that isn't their home, following the customs that aren't their customs, disobeying probably the Levitical law that God had handed down to Moses. And so as they're living there, we see Mordecai leading his... Uh, we, we see that Mordecai is kind of uh, uh, Esther's cousin, and he's like an uncle-type figure in her life, and then he basically adopts her to be his daughter. It's kind of it's complicated, but Esther shows up with no mom, no dad. They passed away at some point in the exile, and Mordecai takes her to raise her as his own, and he tells her, don't tell anybody we're Jewish. Don't tell anybody where we come from. They live with this hypocrisy and this dual identity throughout the story. They're about the first two or three chapters of the story. And then eventually we see them become people of conviction and standing up for who they are and wanting something for the people of God to spare them from the destruction of the wicked plot of a man named Haman. And so when I say good versus evil, I don't mean 
Esther and Mordecai were the good guys and Haman was the bad guy. Haman was clearly the bad guy, but God was using some broken people for his good purposes, and he does the same with us. What's good about us is given to us by Jesus. And so if you ever feel like uh, that, that what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul wrote that in the New Testament. He's the greatest church planner missionary we've ever seen, and even he lived in that, man, I want to follow my deepest desire to please God, but I also have these desires to throat punch people who have offended me, you know? And some days I think he threw punches, you know? And so uh, if you feel like that, I want you to know that's the normal way we're a Christian. No one in this room has the mark of perfection on their life by merit. The mark of perfection on our life is given to us by a verdict in heaven when we believed in Jesus and we get credit for his perfection. So we rest in his work. Jesus is marked by perfection. We are marked by repentance. That means that we are always changing. We're always finding something wrong about us and then changing it so that we can be more like Jesus. And so it is a story of good versus evil, but not like a Western, more like the good news of the gospel. So look with me in Esther chapter 9, verse 20. This is wrapping up the book of Esther. So we're basically just reading about a policy that says we're going to party two days every year. And so if you grew up Jewish, you grew up celebrating Purim two days a year. It's like a Thanksgiving. You like, I guess, make ribeyes for each other and mashed potatoes and gravy and brownies and homemade ice cream and like wear stretchy pants and tell stories about the downfall of Haman and his, and his family. Uh, that's, this book exists to tell uh, Jewish folks where the celebration of Purim comes from. It comes from uh, the salvation of God's people in the land of Persia when they were supposed to be destroyed at the hand of Haman. They were able to uh, defend themselves, uh, save themselves, win basically a two-day war in the land of Persia because of a decree that went out by King Ahasuerus because of his favor over Mordecai and Esther, who were both Jewish people. And so we're just going to read some stuff that happened, and then hopefully I can turn this into a sermon. So let's go. Verse 20, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same uh, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. I love the phrase that they are obligating themselves to celebrate. They are obligated to celebrate. Verse 23, so the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and that Mordecai had written to them, for Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. Now, when it says to cast lots, I, this is less like drawing the short straw to see who's going to clean the toilet on family chore day on Saturday, okay? This is more like pressing into uh, demonic activity. This would be more like looking into higher power or maybe go up to Sedona and rub some crystals together or something. I don't know, however you do that, but spirituality apart from trusting in Jesus. So what Haman was basically 
doing is he was trying to use dark forces, if you're a Star Wars fan, or whatever it is, to, to gain insight, to gain wisdom, and to gain power to eliminate God's people. So when we say this is a story of good versus evil, this is how the promises of God will be fulfilled and the darkness will be pushed back and, and light will penetrate the darkness and the darkness will not overcome. Okay? But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that this evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term Pur, because uh, of all that is written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them. The Jews firmly obligated themselves, I love that phrase, firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. This is an obligation to celebration. And so like the Jews in the days of Esther, we are a people who, yes, are obligated to weep when it's time to weep, but to rejoice when it's time to rejoice. Um, it reminds me, uh, uh, walk with me down a, a story I'm going to tell. So before I moved here to plant Grace Point Church, uh, we moved here back in 2014 to start this church. I pastored back in Oklahoma. I know now you're like, that's why he talks funny. That's why, because I'm from Oklahoma. And uh, when I pastored there before I started a church from scratch, like we could just do whatever we wanted, you know, as long as it's inside of God's word and, and follows Jesus when we started the church. But when I pastored before, I pastored churches that were like 50 years old and 80 years old, 100 years old, lots of history, lots of traditions, lots of forgetting why we ever did it this way. And so one of the things I love about Grace Point Church is I love the way we do communion, and we do it every week. And my favorite part of it is the bread, because it tastes so dang good. And yeah, and we do it on purpose. I think it even has butter in it. I'm not sure. But if it doesn't, I might even just bring some. And you know, so anyways, we don't have time for this, but here I go. But when I pastored in Oklahoma, like even before I was a pastor, when I was a kid, like four times a year, and we'd do this on a Sunday night, we'd go into what we called the sanctuary, and I'd look up at the front, and there would be the table that, that had the offering plates on it all the time, but they were gone. And then there was the sheet covering up something. And I was always like, Are we at a, this is a funeral? I haven't been to a funeral yet, but maybe this is a funeral. And everybody would sit somber and uptight and quiet, and I could tell this was a serious service, okay? Who knows what I'm talking about before I go any further? All right, so, all right let's commiserate for a minute. All right. So what would happen is the deacons would come up, and all of a sudden, I think we like started a, uh, a Masonic ritual or something. Like, I'm not a Mason. I, I know some, but they like took a vow and are going to drown in the sea if they tell me their secrets, so they're not going to tell me. But all of a sudden, this would turn into like a ritual ceremony where they'd grab the sheet and like fold it in front of everybody and walk over and set it to the side. Who knows who's been there? Yeah, it's so weird. And so then... Uh, I eventually become a pastor, and I'd read a verse of scripture and then about the bread, and we'd pass out all the bread, and then everybody would eat the bread at the very same time. And then we would do the juice, and every time we did it, I always felt like, how far removed are we from that group that wore the Nikes and the Comet came, and they all drank the, you know, like this. I started to feel like a cult leader, like, now you can drink, you know? So 
I decided we're not doing it like this anymore. This is the weirdest thing we do as a church. It ought to be so normal. Jesus said, as often as you think of me, do this, have this meal. And it should, I think it should taste good because here's the thing, like the bread that we would eat, they, it wasn't bread, it was like crackers. And they would get it out of like the arts and crafts closet like four times a year. You know, that stuff was older than we were. And so I just had beef with that. Like, it should taste good. Jesus, would, would, it's, let's do this right. So when I got assessed by Acts 29 for church planting, someone passed along the communion bread recipe. My wife was like, I have a bread maker. Let's do this. So we did it. And we did communion for the first time. I think we did it on a Sunday morning. And I still kind of, you know, I didn't want to break the Baptist church. So I think we still did the Masonic ceremony thing there for a little while. However... Everybody had the bread, and most people loved it. Somebody came up to me and said, I, I think I'm offended. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I am. It's like, okay, why? And she said, because that tasted good, and I'm not sure that communion's supposed to taste that good. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. We're, we're going to put butter on the bread. It's going to be good because it's a celebration, you know, Jesus had a funeral. He was only dead for three days. He raised from the dead. He's alive. He's ascended into heaven. He sent us his Holy Spirit. Like, we have something to smile about. We have joy in our hearts. Like, uh, we've rigged this service so that we could remember good things about Jesus and what he's done in us and how he's made us good. And so if you're marked primarily by complaining, if you're marked primarily by negative thoughts, if you're marked primarily by negative talk, and even if you have a dose of cynicism in your life, it ain't anything that you can't repent of. If you're the per a person of God, if Jesus has saved you, he saved you from hell, he saved you to a family called the church, he saved you for a mission that can't be stopped and can't be thwarted. It's gone on for 2,000 years. You are connected not just to philosophy, but to history. And the good news is that we win. Much like the readers of the book of Esther, they were reading a story that they already knew. They already knew that Haman would fall. They would get together every year and wear stretchy pants and eat all the food and, and make fun of Haman and his family, all right? And so we know that Jesus is coming. He's bringing heaven to earth. And so I know that you have crappy days and you have happy days, but we get the gift of seeing every day, including this day and light of that day, that the sky will rip apart and heaven will come to earth and death will die and sin will be no more and Satan will go to hell forever. And our hearts should be anchored to that day. So yes, when hard times come, yes, when crappy times come, and, and listen to me, as your pastor, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to make light of, uh, of the bad that comes your way. I'm not asking you to make light of the evil that the evil one will throw against you. In Romans 8, 28, the Bible says that God, um, those called to, his, uh, called to him, all the bad, all the evil that's thrown in their life will be used for good if you're the people of God, called according to His purposes. And I'm not asking you to call the bad things good things. I'm telling you to trust God that He'll use it for your good. So I'm not saying make light of the trouble or make light of the crap that's going on in your life. I'm asking you to make much of the promise of Jesus that this will not end you that you will overcome, that you will get through this, and that Jesus will bring heaven to earth, and you will get a new body that's glorified like Jesus, and you won't have to do a burpee to get it. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, you can still burpee if you want to in heaven. I think that'll be fine, but you won't have to do it. That's what's awesome. Anyways, we have a gospel 
optimism that we are obligated to is what I'm trying to say. While we don't have Purim, we do have communion. We celebrate it every single week, which means there should be joy in our hearts that even in the crappy, we can see beyond it to know that it won't be like this forever. It won't be like this forever. Verse 29, Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed um, at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. And so just as they were committed to fasting and weeping, they said, we will also be committed two days a year, every year, to remember our salvation from our untimely death and remember that evil were, was turned in on its head and Haman experienced the death while we all received life. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I stared at this paragraph for a day trying to figure out how am I going to... Okay, great, that happened. What's that mean for us? And it just hit me, the power of writing something down. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not one who writes a lot of stuff down. I don't know if you believe in the Enneagram or care about the Enneagram. Maybe you think that's like casting lots. But if, let's just say that we did understand the Enneagram, then I would be what's called a seven, which means I'm here for a good time and not for a long time. That's what it means. That means I want to throw my head back and laugh. I live in the moment. I don't like lists. I don't like rules unless we're breaking them, just being honest. But I love you who love lists and love rules because you keep me out of jail, and I love it. Um, plans are fine so long as they're my idea generally. You have to win me over. You have to make it my idea. Um, my wife was making fun of me about that yesterday, and she was right. Um, but she made it my idea, so it was a win-win for all of us. Um, but I am learning the power of both verbal communication and written communication. For example, there's probably like 10 coffee dates floating around this room right now. And by date, I mean that like on the calendar, like I'm married, me and Carrie, like you're, there, there's no room for you, okay? Um, but here's what I mean. You've probably seen me on a Sunday, and we're talking, and people are flying by, and we're like, let's get together. And I say, let's do it, you bet. I want you to know, I mean this, I love you. I hope you love me. I hope you give me grace. I sincerely mean it in the moment. And then every Sunday I start walking back to my car and I'm like, who in the world was, what, am I, what did I say I would do? Who was it? If I, if I don't write it down, I just forget it. So you might notice I've asked my assistant to shadow me uh, on Sundays and, and she, that's so she can write stuff down. She's like the scribe. So like if I say, yeah, let's do it, she makes sure that we actually do that and follow through because she values writing stuff down. In fact, uh, when she had first come on staff, she hadn't been on staff very long and, and just volunteer position on staff assisting me at just making sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there because I have to be babysat in the name of the Lord. That's just how it is. That's why I need that. My superpowers become like fatal flaws if somebody doesn't babysit me. And so uh, she asked me for her, uh, we call it role description or job description. We take the work of Jesus very, very serious around Grace Point Church. We don't take ourselves very serious because I'm the pastor. That's probably why. But uh, we do take the work very serious. And so she asked me uh, after a couple months in of what she was doing, like, can I see my job description? And it offended me. Like, I wasn't offended with her, but I was like, 
okay, somebody's griping at, at the way she's doing her job. That's just what I thought. I thought, you're doing great at your job. And so I was ready to like, who is it? Where are they? Like, I'll roll my sleeves up. Like, you're like family. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, who's bothering you? She's like, I'm telling you, no one's bothering me. And I just couldn't understand. Then why would you want the list of stuff on your description? And she said, because I want to know if I'm doing a good job. And I said, don't I tell you you're doing a good job? And she said, yes, but it's not enough. It's not a list. I need a list. I want to check stuff off a list. And I was like, really? And she said, yes. And I'm like, if you gave me a job description, I'd be like, well, I guess that's all I will do. Fine. I'll do those things. And that's it. Now that you've chained me down and put me at a desk. Like, I need to feel like I can do anything I want. I know I can't, but I feel like I can. And it motivates me. And I realized that as I was leading other people, that was a prison. What made me feel free made them feel unsafe. And I don't know if we're going in the right direction. And I think this is fascinating that the Lord gives us both when it comes to our assurance in Him as being His sons and His daughters. We see this fascinating scene at Jesus' baptism when he's baptized by his cousin John. Uh, Jesus is in the water, and of course his cousin says, I'm not supposed to baptize you. You're God. And Jesus is like, you better do it. I can send you to hell. <laughs> They're cutting your family. They can talk to each other like that. And so, uh, so John says, uh, yeah, I'll baptize you. So he baptizes Jesus. And by the way, that's the way I would have written it if I wrote the Bible, but... That's not quite what it says. But uh, John baptizes Jesus, and as he does, God speaks, and people hear audibly the voice of God, and God says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and indwells him. And from then on out, when Jesus does his public ministry, when he preaches and someone believes him, when he prays for the sick and they're healed, when he praises for, or prays for Lazarus to raise from the dead, and he does, all of that is the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Okay? Um, I think Jesus is God. I think Jesus could do that because he's Jesus. But I think that shows us and empowers us to know that when Jesus died, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven at the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon us, or if we were there, the Holy Spirit has fell upon us through gospel preaching. And God is pleased with us. The same, uh, this is my beloved son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased. He's pleased with you because Holy Spirit of God dwells within you because you've trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said that we would do greater work than he did. Now, when I was a kid, I thought that meant like we would fly and breathe in outer space and swim with great white sharks and not get eaten. Okay, but What he meant was Jesus did this work in Jerusalem, and now we're doing it in Surprise, Arizona exponentially the work of the gospel, the church, has grown and gone to the ends of the earth and will continue to do so till Christ returns for all of his people. And so verbally God says, this is my beloved son. And here's the way I think of the day that I became a Christian. I went from guilty to innocent. A lot of times we think Christianity is bad people figured out how to be good people through morality. I want you to know that's like a dead religion. That's like world religion. Like you're trying to better yourself, move up a, a ladder or something. That's not what we fundamentally believe as Christians. Fundamentally, we believe that we are guilty of sin and deserving of death. And Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has saved us from death and given us life and made us innocent. But that innocence is a verdict in the throne room of heaven. It's a declaration of us. Jesus declares us innocent. 
I want you to imagine the voice of God in, in John's gospel. It tells us the word, of, the word of God is Jesus and the word of God becomes flesh. And the word of God said, let there be light. And there was light. He created something from nothing. He told the sun where to, where to stand and the stars where to go and the planets how to orbit around the sun. And the same authority in which he created something from nothing, he can declare you innocent even though by your sin you are guilty. When you trust in Jesus with his voice, he declares you innocent. But for those of you who like job descriptions and lists, there's also a book that your name is written in. In Revelation chapter 20, the Bible tells us that we will all stand in front of Jesus. And I know some of us are pre-trib, tribulation, post-mill, pre-mill, all-mill, all that stuff. But we all agree, that Revela- I hope we all agree, <laughs> that Revelation is all about Jesus coming for his people. And he's going to save us and we're spared from the wrath of God. And he's going to restore all things. We're going to dwell with him forever. Right? Amen? Good. That's fundamentally what we should believe no matter what our positions are. And when we do, we'll stand before Jesus and those whose names are recorded in the book of life, we will not be judged based upon our works, but upon the work of Jesus. Then there's another book. They don't really give us the name, but we could just call it the book of death, I guess, if we want to. And it says that others will be judged according to their works. So we're not moral people. We're righteous people made righteous by trusting in Jesus. And he says we're innocent, and he records it down so that we would not forget in the same way that they did not want to just be in the spur of the moment and have this two-day festival that they would forget about at Purim. They wanted to remember, we're going to do this every year, every year, two days a year, Thanksgiving, stretchy pants, and lots of gravy, okay? Uh, Esther chapter 10, verse 1. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. Now... Whoever's writing this is just like wrapping stuff up and throwing stuff in to like get it said. And I think this is just, this is funny for me, uh, just, just reading the story because remember, and maybe you don't remember, but Haman got his plot decreed that all the Jews would be destroyed on a certain day because he promised King Ahasuerus a lot of money. Haman was a wealthy man. And he was basically saying, like, listen, I can lobby for you. I can get all these investors thrown in here, and you're going to get a lot of money. And so I think what Ahasuerus has done is like, oh, I love Esther. She's so awesome, and I'm so happy for her, and all her people are spared. That's great, but daddy's still going to get paid. (laughs) I think Ahasuerus just said, okay, I'll just tax everybody. I'll still get my money. I just think that's funny. No spiritual application whatsoever. Verse 2. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. If you're looking for leadership goals or parenting goals, um, entrepreneur goals. Seek the welfare of your people and speak peace to all the people. This is direct, different, directly different to the way Haman used his power to gain from people. Mordecai wanted to use his power for the sake of people. And I believe the author records this section to remind the reader, and it's good for us to remember that we are part of a historical movement, not just a philosophical movement. We did not gather here today to white-knuckle our way through pain and broken relationships and grit our teeth and say, I love you, to people that we hate. That's not what we're here doing. 
we believe that God made a promise to a real guy named Abraham. Abraham had a family that became a nation that became the church through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we believe that a man went into the tomb and came out three days later and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to anyone who would believe on him ever since, which means that the Holy Spirit of God resides in you as he resides in Jesus, and he has made us new which means we have a new capacity to confess sin when we concealed sin, to forgive sin when we used to release grudges against those who sinned against us. Used to, we had to end a relationship. Now we can just repent of sin and we can end the sin that was getting in the way of our relationship. We are a part of a historical movement, not just a philosophical movement. And this history points us to a real figure named Mordecai who's recorded in these books that we don't have our hands on, but the author is pointing back to Mordecai who points us forward to Jesus. And while Mordecai brought salvation to a nation, Jesus brings salvation to all nations. Mordecai saved people from an untimely death, but Jesus saves us from eternal death. Mordecai is celebrated every year at Purim. Jesus is celebrated every week at communion. Mordecai empowered the people to fight for themselves, and Jesus fights in our place, defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell. Mordecai defeated his physical enemy in the realm that we can see, and Jesus defeats our supernatural enemy in the realm that we cannot see. While all of us should have a Mordecai in our life that we honor, we should only have one man that we worship, and his name is Jesus. And if you want to worship him, here's what your first day of worshiping Jesus looks like. Believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead, and confess with your mouth that he is the leader of your life. Love him and obey him and trust him. All right, let's pray.